You're listening to the Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherden. And a massive thanks to our current patrons, Simon Kenny, Joe H, Bronus Steed, Jude Vincent and Chrissy McKeevoy. Thank you so much, guys. It really does mean a lot. Oh, do you want to see how much progress I've made? On what? Since last week. On what? <laughs> Oh, yeah. That is m- much better. Thanks. I can't decipher what that would sound like in the real world, not through a computer. It sounds like you're also humming at the same time. Is that right? I, yeah, I am. You've got to try and do a weird hum in the back of your throat. Mm. I'm making, making slow progress. Cool. But yeah, we are talking today. To Alice Sheldon. To Alice Sheldon about her book, Why Weren't We Taught This at School? Which is. Uh, phenomenal please go and read it it's very it's it's not a uh it's not a, a heavy you know no um, it's deep but not heavy it's Easy very read but profound whoa whoa sit on your yeah. sofa have a lovely time a and... very applicable very like i've read this and i want to go and do it straight away i want to go and put this stuff into practice um so it was great talking to alice and we kind of talked about fingerprint needs um, to start off with, which was something that's, you know, uh, both of us found quite revolutionary. Um, then we talked about using that kind of needs approach for our own needs as we're practitioners. How do you balance your needs and the kids' needs? Um, and we kind of finished it by talking about different scenarios where Alice's work has been used. So schools and workplaces and lots of different things. Um, and that's roughly sort of 20 minutes on each topic as we go through yeah and listeners the podcast ends with lewis asking a great question and then i was running out of time for alice to answer it and it's like ah it's, and it's been niggling me so much that i reckon i'm going to ask her what the answer is to the question and then maybe we'll have we'll try and put it in the next in the next episode we'll try and put in either We'll read out an answer or see if we can get a voice note or something. Yeah. Um, so fear not. If you get there and you're like, but what But what is the answer, Alice? Help us. Tell us. Hopefully she will by next time. Fingers crossed. Um, so, yeah. Enjoy. There we go. Right. Good morning. Good morning, Lewis. Hello. How are you doing? Well, we're I'm here. really delighted to be here. Thank you. We're here with Alice this morning. We're both. Gemma, have you got Alice's book in front of you? I haven't got it in front of me. No, but oh. I have got it kind of near. I, on the other hand, You've have got, got, the got book. it. I've got it in front of me because I didn't have it in front of me. And I thought, oh, I, I better have it in front of me. So I've just found a copy. So, yes. Amazing. So we're talking to you today about your new book. Why weren't we taught this at school? which uh, I devoured in about three hours and then uh, passed it on to Gemma. Uh, How far are you through it, Gemma? I am, yeah, three quarters of the way through it. And uh, basically Lewis handed it to me with, so sometimes when we do this and like one of us will buy the book and then pass it to the other with lots of post-it notes in particular places where it's like, this bit's really interesting. If you're going to focus on a bit, read this bit. 
maybe skip over this because it's not relevant or whatever. And, th- and Lewis passed it to me with just rainbow post-it notes basically on every page. I was like, okay, I'm reading the whole thing. That's fine. Um, and similarly, just stayed up really late. I thought, oh, I'll read a bit now. And then at midnight, I was just still like, this is great. So um, yeah, we've absolutely eaten it up. It's brilliant. I'm so, I'm so glad, so glad to hear that. So how would you, so I guess uh, it's probably worth sort of summarising it a bit for people who haven't come across it. Um, How would you summarise what the book is about? Do you know, I still, Lewis, struggle to do it in a sentence or two, but my best attempt is to say that it turns out that there's a way of understanding the world which is quite simple at one level and quite profound at another. And when we have a grasp of that, it can be really helpful for many people in terms of um, uh, relationships with partners, with parents, with children, with colleagues, but also with how they show up in the world in terms of, you know, activism or uh, running their business or whatever it is. And just a sort of headline of what that that way is about. And anybody who's come across, I know some in your community um, certainly um, have done nonviolent communication or MVC. Mm. There's that, 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 that's my original training. Um, and it, and it, it, both of these areas of work are around the idea of, of needs and the needs that we need to thrive. So not just our physical needs, but things like belonging or creativity or my favourite one. Do I matter? Or um, yeah. So that that uh, how, how did how did I do in a few sentences? No, that's great. That is. I mean, uh, if, I was going to say that's amazing. Then I went. Oh no, she wrote it. She does know what it. She, she knows what it's on about. Um, <laughs> it should do. Yeah. No, that is a that is a great summary because I think it is one of those things where um, I think the start of the book for me because it started talking about NVC and I. I am only sort of oh, three or four years into my journey with NVC. And when I read it and then um, Gemma and I have done podcasts about it and, you know, we use it quite a lot in our setting. And so when I was like, oh, it's NVC. Oh, okay. It's like modern NVC. But then it's, it's not, there's more, it's almost like taking it one step further and going, oh, okay, this is the basis of it. And then what happens if you sort of take that by the hand and walk a bit further with it? And um, actually, Gemma and I both reflected on one of the main things that we thought that NVC was, we didn't realise it was missing at the time, but having read Why Weren't We Taught This, um, that aspect of like self-care and like self-need doesn't necessarily, I don't think, appear in a strong way in a lot of the NVC stuff. Would you say that's, Gemma, kind of what we... Yeah, I would say exactly that, that, you know, um, the Marshall Rosenberg stuff is about communicating your needs in a non-violent way, for sure. But there's, um, in your book, Alice, there is that that uh, stuff about fingerprint needs, which for me was so light bulb moment. And it's about just, rather than kind of just uh, being able to communicate your needs in the moment, it's about kind of taking an inward look and working out what are the fingerprint needs um, that are there for you kind of all the time and therefore might explain some feelings and some behavior. And um, do you want to like summarize, Alice, what fingerprint needs are? Because I'm sure you'll do a much better job than me. I, I'd love to. And, and just to say that we rather gracefully, I slipped out there for a moment or two. So if I repeat something you've said, then 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 it's not that I was asleep. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I mean, this was such a 
um, key thing for me, particularly in, in my case, it was when I had a young child and I really wanted to do my parenting in a way that felt like it kept the kind of relationship that I wanted with her. And one of the things I found very difficult to understand was why I was experiencing at what were really pretty mundane moments in our life, absolute sort of extreme, what I would describe as murderous rage, or others might talk about red mist, or, you know, like yeah. ridiculously strong. And most of us have a version of that, um, with um, particularly with the people that we're closest to in our work or our, our home settings. Um, those those sort of triggers and um, and so fingerprint needs was really my understanding of what what you know what lies behind that and it fits with all of our modern neuroscience and basically the idea is that when um, when something affects us disproportionately in terms of how we feel there's usually stuff from the past coming in obviously that's not a new idea but it's a lovely way of framing it that actually each of us has somewhere around two to five fingerprint needs. And in those moments, they are what get triggered. So in my case, I mentioned the needing to matter because it's a dear one to me, because the example I start with in the book, in fact, is, is, is trying to shoehorn my child out of the door when we've had a perfectly reasonable agreement that that's what's going to happen and then she doesn't want to go also yeah. completely obviously reasonable but I really do want to go you know I'm desperate to go um and and that and that reaction in me that's so powerful I one of my fingerprint needs is, is is do I matter and so in that situation because a part of my brain is like oh I recognize the situation from when you were five or you were seven or you were nine and it's where I felt like I didn't matter in my family of origin, regardless of my parents' intention. Mm. In this same situation where I'm trying to get out of the door and I feel like my poor six-year-old isn't taking any notice of me. Of course she's not, you know, she's six. I want her to need to look after me, but I do, if I know that what is happening is she, you know, I am interpreting it somewhere in my brain as I don't matter here, you know. You you get everything, I do everything, you know, I'm a poor believer, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and that allows me then to both get some space in the moment and be less likely to yell at her, but also to look at what might be going on behind and, you know, over time, put different strategies in place. So, so that's one of mine. And I'm curious because I know, Lewis, when you originally emailed me, that was that was one of the things um, you had particularly sort of um, um, flagged. And I, I, so I'm curious how both of you got on with that concept. Oh, yeah, it's like really. Um, yeah, I think I can't what word I use you know groundbreaking revolutionary to me for sure and uh as I've been kind of digesting the book little kind of light bulb moments have been going off for me absolutely for sure and that idea that you describe in the book about like once you've identified a fingerprint need it um allowing yourself for like self-empathy so to it's it's not an excuse for crazy behavior but it's an explanation for it and um and that idea about putting strategies in place so I think I'm at the stage now where I'm kind of like identifying and I've picked up on a couple for sure and that um and the way you describe in the book about and, and just now about those moments where you have reacted disproportionately you've kind of done something and you've looked back on it and gone whoa what was I doing like I've completely lost control there <laughs> and it being just like somebody pushing that button for you and then you notice a pattern in your behavior over over the years you know or in your career choices or your relationships and all those kind of things so I think it's so 
so useful to be able to identify those. And I think I've still got some um, some work to do on that. And I really like the tone of the book um, where it is very much talking about kind of, you know, allowing yourself to have those feelings. Um, there was a really, really lovely bit about um, about feelings, in fact, which I, I took a photograph of the bit. I, I started to kind of write it out. And I was like, no, this is too big. And it's the this bit I've just loved. It was... Um, if we can start to understand ourselves and those around us, uh, sorry, if we can start to understand that our feelings are valuable messengers about our needs, we can accept them, make sense of what they're telling us and act on them with awareness. Rightly understood, our feelings are, are a resource rather than a distraction that gets in the way. They're an indicator of what's important to us in any given moment. That was like, wow, rather than going, I'm annoyed with myself for losing control or feeling angry or feeling upset and then just blaming and getting into that cycle going oh actually those feelings are valid so where are they coming from why are they there and they're going to tell us something about ourselves I thought was like wow completely that yeah I love that and I love the um I do love that uh, in this work that balance between real self-understanding self-empathy and as you say that not sort of them being an excuse to kind of get lost in that or to or to you know act in ways that are really unpleasant for other people but but it's it's a both and and that's that's what I find so sort of invigorating about this way of yeah of looking at things and so hopeful actually mm. yeah yeah how about you Lewis Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Yeah, I think I went on a bit of a journey with mine because I think I was trying to work out, you know, that description you give of like, uh, it's like when the red mist is down or when you realise halfway through shouting that in the back of your head, you've got that monologue going, why have I ended up shouting? That's quite interesting. Um, And I don't, I'm not a particularly shouty parent I get frustrated and I'll you know do whatever but um I realized I kind of went on a bit of a journey where I was realized that a lot of mine was based around things and particularly my children are two and four and both very like destructive period of time and I was going oh what and then I was going well can I have a need that is the things because that's not my need it's like oh that thing needs to get looked after but that's not my need And then it took me a while to work back to the point where I was going, oh, it's because that thing, whether it's an activity I've set up or a thing, you know, a thing that represents my time or it represents my effort. And so I realized that it was not that not being valued that I was seeing. So that that made it then make more sense. And again, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, when you talk about children being dysregulated or learners being dysregulated and actually once you get a name on it, it's a lot easier to understand because it goes from this weird bodily sensation, particularly with young children, they might go, Oh, it looks like you might be quite like angry or frustrated. And as soon as there's a word on it, they sort of go, yeah, I think that is it actually. And similarly for me, because you can then spot it more times, I think. And I go, Oh, okay. This is what's going on. So either like you say, you put stuff in place or you, you're able to reframe like, no, he's not kicking the table because the table cost me 80 hours at work. He's kicking the table because he's kicking the table. I've put everything else on top of that. Um, But it does, that then led me to kind of an interesting thought where I was trying to think about this idea of like self-care and having our own needs. Um, And so obviously Gemma and I, lots of people that listen to this podcast, we work in childcare settings where 
in some senses, we're told to sort of completely shelve our own needs, you know, mm. it, and particularly in like a, um, I know you're quite close with Lily. So like that play working background, that kind of thing um, of like always going like, oh, if you're enjoying it a bit too much, then going like, this is you meeting your play needs. You need to step back a bit or this is you getting something met. And so I just wondered if you'd had any thoughts or experiences around that idea of how can we be leaders and role models and sort of on one hand model what we're doing and going these are my needs but on the other hand not letting that get in the way of like professional practice yeah I mean what a great question what a great question we could probably spend an hour on this alone um because I certainly don't have a sort of one line answer but let's just riff a little with um I mean with the ideas so a few kind of things that spring to mind and, and you alluded it to it Lewis when you spoke I do think there is something really valuable about modeling to children that we have needs as adults and that we are taking care of our needs um you know in a in a in a way that attempts to take to take care of the whole and I think there's something very I, I think there's something very um very beautiful actually about 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 us you know in, enjoying I mean we wouldn't be doing the jobs we do whatever they are unless they were meeting our needs to you know to to a, to a greater or lesser extent yeah. so I think the question I think the, the question right that, that well some of that some of the issues might be around where um rather than uh rather than holding as adults what I would love is that we are holding both our needs and those in our care with care and we may choose it might meet our needs our needs as professionals our needs in terms of what we're wanting to contribute to prioritize those young people's needs a lot of the time that that meets our needs in a sense Mm, um and there might be um uh there, there might be times when we slip again into um trying to meet our needs what our label is inappropriately in other words we start we, we unconsciously are meeting our needs at the cost of mm. you know of, of of other people that i think is you know that i think can be um is what is where we want to try to reel ourselves in a bit but also there's that important point around um the difference between what i would call a kind of permissive being and a, a lovingly bounded being as an adult when we're holding mm. children and and essentially there are there are going to be times when to care for the whole including our own needs we do need to um we do need to put put boundaries in even though those aren't necessarily going to meet the instant needs of of, of the child but as an adult you know we do have that larger perspective that a two-year-old a four-year-old a 10-year-old won't have actually uh, so yeah that was my first attempt at a little ramble uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely I think it is one it is um it's just a tr- it's a tricky balancing act isn't it and I think that's where a lot of our work re- um involves sort of more f- reflection than other childcare um professions might and I think one of the things that sort of leads forest school practitioners too is a reflection on like in that experience was that my needs where was the balance there what was going on um that you might not get in other childcare settings if you're just if you're kind of going oh did I deliver the curriculum did I um you know was the tough tray organized those sort of things they're not reflecting on that balance um and we Gemma and I try and 
vocalize quite a lot because I think there's also something to be said for modeling and sort of showing the the sort of altruistic thing of when a learner does help you meet a need of your own that that is a that is a positive experience and a learning experience for them obviously if you again it's that balancing thing but not sort of hiding that you know being quite open being like oh that's me I feel a lot better now that that's in place or I actually feel quite looked after now that my body is here um and Gemma we work quite hard on sort of vocalizing that even though it sounds a bit clunky sometimes don't we yeah oh yeah absolutely talking through what the interior world and making it more explicit for children so they can see those kind of processes that are happening inside and the the kind of um results of their actions for example um you know when they've yeah which is music to my ears um Gemma because I don't know if you've yet got to the bit in the book about um the the, the difference between praise and reward as a sort of manipulative Oh, yeah. Tool, which I'm and a manipulative is a strong word to use because actually, as, as as you say, Lewis, I think many people in the childcare profession, you know, they aren't thinking in those terms, but just that systemically, if we are incentivizing children to behave in a particular way, there's a real risk that we aren't connecting them with what feels good to them. We're telling them what feels good to us, and that you know they they need to do more of it to get more of the pats on the head or the mm. gold stars or whatever it is whereas um the, 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 you know one of the alternatives is to give honest feedback so that where we've enjoyed something I mean and how lovely is that as a child no, you know my daughter loves nothing more than on the days where she isn't seized with 14 year old angst and actually is is energized to contribute in some way and you know and I come in and I'm like wow you know the kitchen looks amazing that's so lovely now I can sit down and really enjoy my evening with you or whatever it is you know and you can see that kind of that kind of like growing in her that I think feels so different to a more um more more of a sort of you you know um if you clear up the kitchen yeah three times this week you'll oh, get you're preaching whatever. to the choir i'm i'm yeah. i'm steps away from like an alfie cone tattoo on my neck or something like, <laughs> that's the level that i'm at maybe a big old portrait here i think i've got a space <laughs> you could go with your forehead lewis could there I we just go. Say, i think that could be good too then it'd be really strong message. oh it would save me a lot of time <laughs> uh, alice i wanted to ask you about um so we talked about like fingerprint needs and i wanted to ask you if, if there's any legs to the idea of a group or a community having like a shared fingerprint need that they only have when they're a group so in my head I was thinking about like a class or like a peer group and whether they would still have that fingerprint need in another setting or whether they would only have it as that group love that question Lewis tell me tell me more what is there an example that you're thinking of well I I think from an education background I was thinking about a class that might have had a particular incident of trauma or a particular like need not being met you know you take a whole school year and whatever something it doesn't get met whether a child in that class uh if it was I don't know and let's say a need to feel that they matter whether that child could absolutely matter and that's not a fingerprint need when they go to gymnastics club, but it is when they meet those peers again and they suddenly collect as a group or possibly 
you know, in a business setting, it might be one working group who goes, oh, we don't feel valued when we're in this space by the rest of the business. Individually, they know their work is valued in other areas. I don't know. It kind of. I love it. I love it. And I haven't thought about it. And I really like it because it's making me think about some, you know, I sometimes talk and it's not really a needs understanding or an NBC concept, but think about the shadow in organisations. What's the stuff that we hide that we don't deal with and that can therefore get projected onto a difficult employee or a difficult child or a difficult member of staff or whatever it is. Um, and, I, and I love this as a, as a sort of way of, of, of thinking about of, of groups and how groups function. And it makes absolute sense to me that a group could have a, could, you know, could have a particular unmet need because of their experience together as a group. And then I'm thinking about the interplay with, and, you know, for me, obviously, the pandemic strikes up immediately. Like we've got, you know, kids well coming in from all sorts of places but there, there, there are groups who've suddenly experienced the same some of the same stuff together yeah, yeah I mean and, and I wonder whether also it kind of you talked about whether you could feel like a, exactly the need to matter in your group but actually not experience that as a need when you're out of it I wonder also whether there's there could be something about the group experiences has experiences which touch on a particular need for the group and for some of the individuals within that group that mirrors that 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 like exacerbates if you like a fingerprint need that they already have mm. so if you've got five kids in that class you've got a need to matter and suddenly the whole group's experiencing that whether those children are then particular you know one could one could say might be particularly affected I, I yeah maybe mm. yeah. So, go on Gemma. um well, I was just thinking about um, sort of this leading on to, I had a sort of question about, you know, you mentioned school in the title of the book. It, do you have a kind of um, an idea, a, a dream about how this kind of approach could be embedded sort of throughout the education system? We're talking about classes and, and needs and things in a kind of ideal dream world. How could you imagine this being completely interwoven through our education system? Yeah, I mean, what well, again? Another another day of conversation. Um, yeah, and um, so and and it is so. You know, um, I mean, my just to say up front that my, you know, my I've had um, some experiences in forest school settings as a parent, some as a kind of you know as a volunteer or working with young people, um, and now just obliquely working with. Um, Lily and let's go on to say something about Lily maybe in a moment but um but um now I've forgotten what the question was how would you, how could you imagine this being vision, vision for education yes uh, yeah absolutely and, and I mean you know in terms of systems change uh, what would that look like you know what would it look like to have schools so the elements for me would be um a much much higher proportion of uh, adults to younger people um, and not just you know adults who are of working age and who are you know but but there'd be much more of a community um, that there'd be certainly be much more of a community kind of involvement I would love to see choice as a real defining um, element so that young people 
are much more equipped and um, able to, you know, there, there, there are resources available for them to make more choices around what they are doing and what they are engaging in. And I, I think for me, what's abundantly, so I've chosen to educate my daughter through the mainstream school system. Um, and, and what's abundantly clear to me is the amount of care and love and professionalism throughout the teaching and support staff professions. So it, what, what for me is, is problematic is, is the hierarchical system that we have um, and the exam system that we have. So much, you know, there, there are kind of, um, I suppose I don't, I couldn't say to you, I imagine that all schools would look like this, that or the other, but I could tell you that the needs that I see not being met time and again of children, and that's why I say more adults, children really being seen and mirrored and held and for you know it to be okay I remember my daughter at sports day I watched her as she went first in the sack race that she'd been totally looking forward to and then fell over and came last and I could see her she was seven and I could see her holding it all just you know because it wasn't there was no place she could say that and she was just that little bit too old to dissolve into you know and 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 that I mean children have that experience day in day out day in day out because there isn't the capacity to mm. to respond and and I imagine and from what I've seen in the setting that you're working in there there is some real difference in 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 that possibility of um just just allowing um you know allowing kids to be held in a different way oh, Gemma has an absolute meltdown when she doesn't win a game it's <laughs> it's, in there. it's it's no, I'm joking <laughs> that's really that's really interesting as um as an approach in terms that you you see that as one of the most important things that extra adults and I guess I you know in an ideal world adults who have had this kind of background or these, you know, reading about nonviolent communication and understanding needs. Um, yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, and as you say, there are already so many, you know, people working, giving everything to the children that are in their care, in their classroom, and sort of, yeah, working so hard in such a difficult environment with the pressures put on them and their needs not being met, you know, because of the, the stressful times, especially in the pandemic. Um, that's really interesting and I'm sure that yeah people still working in education would um, also have their needs met far more if they were able to share those roles and responsibilities with twice as many three times as many adults working alongside them. It, absolutely absolutely Jan and, and it, it, it this is the second time this thought has come in in this um, these moments so I'll, I'll share it that, that it's noticeable when I go into work in schools and I ask teachers to um, think about, I give an example um, of a parent and a child, and I ask them to think about the needs for each of them. And almost always the need, the list of needs for the children is like, you know, it's it's massively long. And, and then we get to the needs of the parent and they're kind of, you know, they're sort of like, it takes real time. And, and often they will say after sessions, you know, I, as a teacher, I never think about my needs. I just, I did, didn't even know I was allowed to have any or mm. what to do with them. And that just feels really, you know, that feels sad to me that, again, the system is just so, so kind of 
run out with, you know, with, with lack of that kind of empathic resource. So, yeah. That's great that you're working with schools. So is that something you do often with um, kind of staff bodies and go in and, and talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it tends to be, I mean, staff rather than um, rather than uh, children, although, I mean, I do have a teaching qualification from way back. So it is something that I, I mean, I love working with young people. And sometimes I go, I go and play, if you like. So uh, there's, there'll be something where, um, yeah, a, someone, a teacher friend will say, come and team teach something or whatever. And that's really fun. But yeah, but working with, working with teachers is, is, um, you know, is apps is an absolute privilege. Um, and, and, and just cover, I mean, well, you know, what we normally look at is just some of the starter just some of the staff pieces, those pieces we've been mentioning today about um, a, a, about what what empathy looks like, what self empathy looks like, how that can affect you if you're you know in the classroom, what it what it looks like um, when you're in the corridor, all you know the whole uh, the, yeah, I, I love that. Oh, great! God, I wish I would have had training like that. When I was teaching it was amazing I didn't know you taught Gemma yes yeah um yeah nine years okay yeah in secondary okay yeah but yeah not a lot of uh, time for those kind of discussions sadly support the podcast today by becoming a patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com check out the podcast links for more details that's kind of just what I was I was wondering as I was listening so it's kind of imagining it going this sort of work going into a school and in my head it immediately went into early years um and that's just because and through um you know the work that we've done things like this are quite I don't want to say easy but because early years is more flexible because it's more early years is still I mean touch wood a bit more holistic and there, there is room to look at you know emotional growth as well um have you found any barriers as it at sort of moves up so obviously if you if you can keep this sort of work going through primary school you're going to get someone with I don't want to say less fingerprint needs maybe different fingerprint needs when they meet secondary school and above um but lots of like you say that ringing out of the school system is kind of like okay now we're into key stage one key stage two we're focusing on other stuff so have there been any barriers and are there any kind of solutions for getting it higher up in education I don't think so I mean there are there are barriers in the in in terms of what we talked about earlier that the system is the system so at the moment so you know the fact the fact is that a secondary school is looking um more or less at league tables and that's because parents are looking more or less at you know so it's mm-hmm. it there is a there is a conflict between the the, the, the systemic um overlay and what's what you know whatever uh, might be going on within a school because <clears throat> ultimately we have an exam system um but really it's only limited um by that and below that then it's a case of um what 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 usually has um what usually makes makes things fly in a school is the higher up the staffing ladder someone gets it and goes ah okay 
this is this could really be of help I can really see this you, you know it's a partnership thing Lewis so mm. so without that kind of um you, you know without that it, and this is true in any setting that I work in it, it I always see it very much as, as something where I'm not just going in and sort of you know delivering a a, a a training top down or whatever it's more okay what are the needs here how can we how can we do something that will really serve you and that you can then carry forward with or without my help um but it is all to do with individual people getting it which is why you know my <clears throat> which is why I wrote the book really was just so that the work is out there and people can go okay yeah this fits for me no I could this doesn't fit for me yes you know Alice can you do this no you know whatever but but it's just like my best friend said to me she was like okay now you've done the book you can comfortably go under a bus it's fine your job is done like, okay, thanks best friend <laughs> no. oh amazing <laughs> can we say something can we say something about Lily Lewis John, would that be yeah. just, just in terms of because I mean obviously I am sitting here with this book and, and none of the listeners will be able to see it but throughout it there are these absolutely delightful illustrations that have been um that that have been um uh, done by Lily who stepped in with without you know an illustration background or training or anything but just a passion for drawing and actually someone had seen her sitting one of my well, someone I taught ages ago seen her sitting in an NBC workshop drawing these little characters and when I put up online this is the sort of thing I'm looking for I can tell you my attempts at showing what I was looking for considerably appalling compared with what we've ended up with from Lily but I just think they add a huge amount to the book um, and again are a kind of real sense of the sort of teamwork that's gone through the book um, so and, and it's because of Lily indeed that really I'm here with you guys this morning so I'm I'm you know what a lovely thing to meet you both uh through through that yeah her yeah. drawings are special aren't they they're so simple but really convey so much and I know that the whole forest school community have found a lot of her illustrations so useful in lots of things from you know she's done an illustrated uh Beaufort scale for you know wind stuff every time someone goes oh what's the safe wind speed for running a session or whatever and the way that she's taken that information and illustrated it um and yeah lots of other occasions that are similar so yeah Big up, Lily. Thanks. <laughs> well, they are need meeting, aren't they? Because, and Gemma and I have talked about this uh, sort of on and off for a long time, but like Forest School attracts wonky people. Like we're a wonky community and quite often that wonky community comes with people that uh, we're not all like bookworms or people that can process stuff in the same way. And so we need wonky explanations to get, through and that's what things like doodles and things like examples can do um is like communicate in different ways meeting needs i love that yeah. wonky am i allowed to am i allowed to join the wonky community i, I really <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult because you can't put it on an application form are you wonky <laughs> 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 And if not, do you do you deal well with other wonks? I mean, yeah, you can yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, what's your experience of wonkiness? Please, can you describe an experience of wonkiness and how what, you adapted? What are the needs underlying your particular version of wonky? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just before we go, I wanted to um, ask, so obviously a lot of the work that we're doing is... Um, very long term for some of us for some of the children that come to us learners that come to us um they've been with us four years plus um 
So what a lot of your book is looking at is kind of like that fingerprint need, that kind of stuff have gone like, oh, this has happened and this is how we meet it. I wondered if you had any thoughts or stuff about, so some of our listeners will be in a situation where they can see like needs developing. So you might have a learner who two years ago did not have this need, but through a series of circumstances, you can see something growing. Um, whether that's an experience you've come across, whether there's something we can, you know, whether there's a process for identifying that and like mm. over meeting it. So it doesn't, you know, I was always, I guess the answer, the question is, can you stop something becoming a fingerprint need if you, mm. if you see it early? Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. Um... Might be no. <laughs> It, I mean, it's no. It's an interesting question. So I, I, from, I mean, I would say that definitely we can mitigate it. Often, um, things within um, families or whatever the family setup, the care setup is that the child is held within. So whoever the primary caregivers are, whether those are um you, you know parents or foster parents or, or, or care homes whatever it is um that they are the places where that repeated interaction is, I mean, there's just more time spent within mm. those so actually um that that's if there is a dynamic within the family where something is happening then it, it's um you know the most effective thing is where the family system starts to change but that said I mean, yes, I've definitely seen needs developing, particularly over the primary mm. years um, with time. And indeed, that I think that's just normal child development to some extent. You know, we get we have different needs at different ages. Some of them, I mean, and they're all there all the time anyway, but the focus is on different ones. Um, and um, they are met more or less effectively within our immediate family setting. So then as practitioners coming in, I think there is something about... And I don't want to use the term needs audit because it starts to sound so unlike anything that I kind of do or believe. Love in. a tick box. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> Can it be a but, spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> With 95, oh, I haven't yes. needs there on it. I don't actually know how many needs there are on the needs list. But 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 I think there is something about there is something about having a framework which says, okay, you know, actually let's have a discussion once a year about this particular um um young person which can include the young person you know actually what you know what 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 how if we were going to if we were going to look through the lens of needs what might we mm. say being and I, I always want to say and I, I I think you'll both pick this up from the book you know I I'm so wanting this to be non-prescriptive and just to be mm. invitational as if this framework is helpful use it if it's not ditch it but I think I think looking at looking from time to time at yeah okay let's think about this and in and, and terms of meeting it Lewis what do you then do about it let's imagine you identify okay Alice age six you know clearly demonstrating sort of need to matter then you meet it as best you can mm. by you know inappropriately within the setting of the children how can we <clears throat> help you know Alice to have that experience that she really matters mm. you know so she may not be feeling she matters at home but maybe maybe you know she can feel she matters 
here and that that could be a um yeah a supportive thing I guess yeah I love that I love yeah. that in a way as almost yeah as you say not as a as an audit and a tick box thing as Lewis said but um for a school as Lewis said is so reflective but it's often helpful especially when you're starting out perhaps to have a um almost like a frame to hang your reflections upon mm. and to go right if we're just going to reflect on that session what are the needs that we saw then and you're you're always guessing aren't you you can't know what's you know in the interior world of, of everybody it's really um but I guess if you're taking this needs-based approach you're you're probably not going to do any damage are you if you miss if you if you misread somebody's need as um you know a need to be creative and actually it wasn't that it was a need to be something else um and you know you try and prep and plan opportunities to meet those needs in the next session you're not going to do any harm and lasting damage if you kind of you know um in a you know inaccurately meet uh describe that need but um but I really like that as an idea of kind of doing a, a summary of of the session and of the groups and the, the behavior that you noticed and what was what was behind that and we do that all the time but we might not necessarily use that needs language um and it could be so useful I think I feel like I can and, see concentric circles like needs of the individual needs of the like group needs of the whole school like I can see the yeah I love that I love that and what was coming to me Lewis you will have reached it Gemma probably not yet but that the way that I you know 90% of the time I find it most helpful to work when I'm working through situations or reviewing a session or whatever is to use that framework where we look first at our needs and then at anybody else's needs who are involved. So actually we start mm -hmm. with what are my needs as the practitioner? What was going on for me? It's that self-empathy piece first and just naming and making conscious what was there. Oh, yeah, of course that behaviour triggered me particularly because this. And it, it gives a really safe way of naming it. Then let's move over. And once you're kind of free of that or you've put that on a shelf, let's move over and look at what's going on over here. And then you step to the end and do, um, you know, and, and, and look at, OK, holding all of that with care. What does the next session look like? It's the planning step. So it's the kind of, you know, it's kind of how do you actually in practical terms go down to the needs and then come out to the practical. Mm. And I really I like what you said about, sorry, Liz, about um, about as a practitioner, your one of your needs might be meeting other people's needs. I definitely think that is a yeah. thing to acknowledge and go. Yeah. And then yeah. you felt like you weren't doing that that session that's really gonna have an impact on you um that's yeah interesting. absolutely and in fact I mean you know for most people who are in any kind of caring contributing role that's going to be a massive driver that you know we long to we long to contribute to other people yeah mm -hmm. um I'm conscious of time Alice I would I I might I think I'm gonna pose a question not expecting a particular answer um before we go <laughs> so there's a thought that I want to pose and maybe this is something that we can um discuss with like the people listening is like is there a place for discussing so obviously Gemma and I are a team and work together and we might have conversations around oh that that person's got that need or I think that person's displaying a need for x y or z um and I it's been going around my head recently of trying to work out how to communicate that to obviously not like four-year-olds but to a certain at a certain level of understanding whether you can explain to a peer like yeah 
well, they threw that at you because they've got this need going on or like, well, actually, they're re- you didn't do anything necessarily wrong, but they're really upset or they're feeling really good because, you know, whether there's some language there of explain, you know, it's like third party and not wanting to talk about someone else while they're not there, but also trying to communicate what's happened when potentially everybody involved of, of everybody involved you the observer might be the only one that's got a, a handle on what needs were being met not being met um so but i think like you say we could go off on that one for quite a long time so what i will say is um is there anything that we that you we should have asked you about the book um and where can people find you uh, more about you and your work and everything else thanks thanks lewis and i'm restraining myself <laughs> answering your question with some difficulty um but um the so i have a website which uh we could maybe put in the notes mm-hmm. but it's i'll just say it it's needs-understanding.com and my request is so i had a moral battle about whether to sell the book on amazon or not but because i really wanted to be a mainstream book i have decided to do that so my request would be um wherever you buy the book from if you are going to buy it and read it if you have an Amazon account and would be willing to leave me a review I'm trying to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year by the 31st of December so that would be really supportive for me because I'm a small publisher and I just really love to get the words out about the book and secondly if you have any ideas about how I could um do that if you you know if you like the sound of it and think it think it could be supportive um it's very much about wanting to make an impact in the world so any leads on that would be so very welcome amazing great that's great well thank you so much for your time this morning thank you alice it's been lovely thank you so much for having me that's a real pleasure if you like this podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast